Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. But wait, there's more. Whether it's your first time or you're planning on revisiting some of your favorites, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Follow the Bill Simmons podcast, The Interviews, on Spotify now. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Rear Podcast Network, presented by Major Dilla Media. Thank you, Yola Tango. So the last podcast I did with Chris, we got into trend setting and plating. And I think we might have lost a lot of people. They got the gist of it, hopefully, when we started comparing trends to Nickelback and and Poison. <laughs> but do you think even that got over people's heads? I, I don't know. But I know with the bear, I saw episode two. They go into a little bit about a brigade system. I think it was episode two. And on our Discord channel, you can visit us at majordomamedia.com and click on the link to get to our Discord channel. There have been some comments about what about a brigade system? What is a brigade system? So for those that don't know, it's something that we talk about a lot. The brigade system is based on the military. Escoffier created it based on the military. Japan has their own version of a brigade-like system not based on Escoffier. It just is also based on the military system. Originally, the brigade system was built around, in my belief, the organization of a stove. You're basically creating a structure to get shit done in a kitchen. And there's different terms, and it's, there's different sizes of brigades. I, I Again, when I went to uh, Providence in LA, there were, I think, 24 people in that brigade. To make certain kinds of food, you may need 24 people. And Noma, how many people are there, Chris? Like 50? 60? <laughs> yeah, at least. At least. And you can have a brigade that's as small as four to five people. You can even work as a brigade by two people. 
I mean, that's just the reality. But the brigade system is you become the chief of your specific section. So the idea of chef literally just means boss. In my world, most people don't like being called chef. It's not seen as a derogatory term, but it's taken as a derogatory term. You really only say chef again. We've talked about this before several times on this podcast. You you talk to somebody uh, and address them as chef. It's like when you're like trying to like rub a little kid's head, you know, or or like a little bit of fuck you, a little bit how Noel goes, eh, you know, it's like good job. Chef, you know, there's different intonations. It's a little bit like Mandarin, right? Different intonations and in different mm. situations can denote a specific kind of reverence or distaste for somebody. So, like a lot of chefs, real chefs don't like being called chefs. <laughs> like Eric or Perry mm. gets pissed when I call him chef because I'm doing it out of respect and reverence. So, very few people want to be called chef. It's like being addressed Mr. to a lot of people. Would you like want to be called Mr. Christopher Yang? No, it's just too formal. <laughs> but in the frame of chef, you have executive chef and CDC. So exec chef is a slang. CDC is chef de cuisine. And people just go by chef. Executive chef, for the most part, gets used for corporate, big operations, multiple restaurants, where the executive is less to do about the day-to-day cooking. And more to do with about the overseeing and operational and growth. And, you know, that could be, I'm just in charge of growing the business. I'm just in charge of the creative of the business. I'm just in charge of playing golf now. I'm just in charge of whatever. But executive chef usually means they're not working the line as much. That's not always true. There's some people that are called executive chef that are at the past every night, right? I'm just saying there's nothing hard and fast. A lot of people just called chef. But even CDCs are called chef. And oftentimes, if you're chef de cuisine, you are the boss of that restaurant. So when I was at Kraft, Marco Canora was the chef de cuisine. Tom mm-hmm. Calicchio was the chef slash owner. And that's another thing you can do if you're not sort of denoting that you're there all the time. But it's your, you're the producer. Executive chef is more like you're the producer of it now, right? And the CDC is more of a director and you're just not in charge of like everything but you are on the up and up and you're a, it's a signal to everybody that you are extremely talented and you're very valued and ultimately you can run it as your own kitchen. So CDC is the role that Jeremy Allen White Carmi has in the bear before I think he started in his Chicago restaurant. I do have some questions about the the time of how he got there, because I guess he won food and wine when he was 21. He was working at the restaurant in Malibu. Then he worked for, uh, you know, in New York. And, you know, these are the things where, again, like either it gets fleshed out in the series as I watch it, because I don't know, or you just find things out. But usually if you're super talented and you start winning awards pretty early on, you're not continuing to work for another chef. That's just not happening. Mm-hmm. You're running your own show pretty early on. Uh, the only time in my, my memory I can think of an extremely talented individual that worked as a, a chef de cuisine was Frank Cerruti, who ran Monaco in Paris for Alain Ducasse. Frank Cerruti, extremely amazing chef, had his own two Michelin star restaurant. So he left for Ducasse to open up his own restaurant, I think with his brothers, then left that to take over Ducasse's operations again as chef de cuisine. So like you can have chef de cuisine that is extremely high honorific position, 
technically it's your own, but it's a rarity that you've won all these awards and then you're still working for somebody else. It's just not something that happens on the regular. So I would have a question for that. I don't know what happens, but for the most part, a CDC is somebody that is twofold. One is they're looking for the first gig as a chef owner or they're the top position with nobody above them. Or two, they really just want to be number two. Right. So like that's there's nothing in between. CDC is either you want your own or you just want to be number two. And honestly, if you want to be number two, some of my best friends are just number twos because they don't want the bullshit. They don't want to Mm -hmm. operate and raise money and do all that stuff because number two in a lot of these restaurants is number one. You just don't have to deal with the stupid shit. You can just run a restaurant. Those are people that just want to cook. I mean, I wish there was something that was like the DH in baseball. Everybody knows what the designated hitter is in baseball or a quarterback, you know, but the reality is in cooking. And this goes back to a a recurring theme in restaurants. What makes it so difficult for everyone to understand what happens on a, a, a mass scale is no restaurant is the same. You cannot create a boilerplate system. That's going to be the perfect system for everybody. Everything is tailored to that specific restaurant. It has to be, you have different people, you have different locations, the terroir, the actual physical space. So like, when I think about it, CDC could be the executive chef. The CDC is just technically the number two, but also in a lot of places it could be number one. But uh, below them, Sue means under. Like, that's it. Just directly under. And you can have executive sous chef and then just sous chef. Executive sous chef can very much sort of be the chef de cuisine. If there's no executive chef and you're just a chef, but you're a chef that works a lot, and does all the does everything right? They do the administration and the creation of the dishes, etc. You don't need a chef de cuisine because you're still doing it all. You might need a number two, but they're not really CDC. You create a title called executive sous chef, which basically means you are the number two. And sometimes you have a huge organization where you have executive chef, chef de cuisine, executive sous chef, then regular sous chef, and then junior sous chef. So. Seems like a Byzantine system for (laughs) organizing shit, but like they are in charge of different facets of the business. So you could have a sous chef that's in charge for the AM. You can have a sous chef that's in charge for the PM. You can have a sous chef that's just in charge for receiving and delivering a product. You're basically breaking down responsibilities uh, a little bit like a study group. Some restaurants don't have a sous chef because they're just too small. You just have the chef and then you have the cooks. More and more restaurants aren't following a brigade system. And the brigade system, I think, was really patterned after the structure of a, a range, you know, the cooktop. And before I get to the chef de parties, that's really what it was based on was you would have these huge ranges, these giant, giant oven ranges. And whether you call it piano or range or whatever, like there's a, a lot of variations of them. They originally fueled by coal, right? You, you had these French kitchens, you had these huge ovens that needed to be fired by coal. So you would have somebody needing to run coal. That was like the lowest jo- job level. And then on the way up from that, you would have you know, uh, chef de partie or Comey. So above the coal runner, you have Comey, which basically is, what would a Comey be in an office work culture? Mm, assistant, executive assistant. Yeah. And below the executive assistant, you have a stagiaire. And those are people that are like interns, more or less. So you have the coal runners, which don't exist anymore. Um, you have the stagiaires, you have the Comeys, and then you have the chef de parties. The chef de partie means you are the chef 
So if we were working fish station at a big, big French brigade restaurant, Chris, and I was your me, right? But you are the chef de partie. You are the mm-hmm. chef of the Poussinier station. You are the chef of the fish station. Everything that comes off that island of your station, your anything that's fish is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And you are responsible for everybody that works under you at that station. And so what would you do as my commis? I would try to sabotage you. <laughs> so you would get in trouble. What would your official duties be other than unofficially trying to sabotage me and take my position? Uh, I am really your executive assistant. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Make fish fume. Got it. I'll do that. Take it off. The stove, strain it. That's my job. Cut the mirepoix. Got that. Make, you know, a fennel juice or whatever. Like, whatever it is, like, I'm doing it because I have a list. My daily list of activities of of what I need to do are determined by you. In return, your list of activities of what you want to do are determined by what the sous chef wants you to do, whose responsibilities are determined by what the CDC or executive chef is. So... It's a weird world working in a kitchen that is set up of a brigade style. It can be extremely, extremely effective. But I think as kitchens have changed, as islands have changed, when I say islands, how kitchens are laid out, I don't know if you actually need a brigade structure. My personal belief, and I'm not really talking to really anybody about this, is the one food thing that I, you know, I would talk to Rizepi or whoever. We would just talk about stuff, you know, Bianca or whatever. You just talk about, things and setups and stuff. The one thing I've never talked about is the evolution of how a kitchen is set up by the evolution of kitchen technology and kitchen oven technology. Mm. And I think as ovens have gotten smaller, more proficient in, in sort of like how they use energy, whether it's induction or gas, you know, if you look at a linea, everything's induction and it's not set up like a brigade. It's more set up in like I don't know if it still is, but separate groups or separate islands. I mean, you can, you're still working. I guarantee you they're still working on in an organized brigade system. But I don't know if the terminology still works because a lot of, a lot of pickups on a, in a kitchen may be coming off. You know, fish station may actually have multiple places of pickup now. It's not so structured. I see that less and less so. It's more about like today I'm working the meat roast. Today I'm working the fish station. Today I'm working the veg station. Can you can you talk a little? I, that's that's something I've never really understood because you've you've hinted at that before. But like, how does the actual physical equipment or, or or layout of a kitchen? How is that changing the sort of structure of the work? Can you give like an example of like what you mean by like this dish comes touches like multiple stations? When Escoffier designed the brigade system, he wasn't envisioning it to be used on a on a griddle setup like it's a short order cook in a diner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's mm-hmm. just like one line of in a row, right? He's it's designed as literally an island. If I was working meat station, I was working saucier. Saucier can flex into meat roast as well. Cause sometimes the saucier technically is I'm just making the sauces in the morning. And then you can that same person you, you could meet roast meat later. But whoever's cooking meat, depending on the size of the kitchen or also the staffing of the restaurant, that person could be in charge of their own sides, their garnishes as well, right? Or if it's a really big, ambitious restaurant, that person could be in charge of just cooking the meat and that's all they do. 
And the entre mm-hmm. person is just in charge of timing their garnishes for that meat station. And when the chef is calling out the pass and plating, and the entre person is probably bringing your garnish for the table and the meat for the meat roast person. If there is no mm-hmm. entre the, the meat roast person is doing it for everything. Same goes with Poussinier station. So if you're working fish, you could be doing the garnish for yourself or you have your own entremetier person. And more than likely, if you have another person, you are not dropping the fish at the pass. The entremetier person is, or your commis is doing it. So a super, super big kitchen, you would have, let's go back to meat roast. You'd have your meat roast person and to your side, like a squire, you have a commis or maybe two commis that are the there running to get you meat to season the meat you know sometimes you're cooking the meat and the meat roast person is like observing how you're doing it these are huge mm-hmm. huge kitchens and sometimes like you would have the middle person just cooking the entremet and they're the garnish person and to the left you could have the uh, you know the appetizers the small apps the you know the they're doing canapes hot canapes station or pasta station right so it would be a grain and starch station as well so like pretty easily in a big restaurant you have six people working an island at minimum like a big Mm -hmm. island you have four you could have easily have six and honestly you could have as many people as 20 around an island i mean it can get pretty crazy you can be shoulder to shoulder with another person around an island and that that's what it was originally designed for like a like an assembly factory where you're not really moving around you want efficiency and movement today in a big island, it's not easy to operate because you're constantly having to run around this giant island of an oven. This thing in the center, it takes a lot of space working around it. So because kitchens are getting smaller, because restaurants are getting smaller, you don't need a giant tank of a a kitchen stove. You just need smaller things. So if we were doing a 40-seat restaurant, Chris, it's quite possible there would just be two of us. Like the beef, that restaurant, the one thing I would say is a good example between um, in, in the bear, uh, what is possible and what is not because it's a scripted show. In reality, that restaurant probably has two to three people because it's a show. It yeah. needs characters. You're trying to, you have to have loaded up with people, even if it may not be necessary. The reality is there's way too many people for a, a restaurant that size. And you probably have one or two people doing all of that work in a real, real restaurant. And mm-hmm. if I had an island, I would imagine that you would have two people at the, the lowest level, not lowest, the smallest level, I think you need a kitchen of three. And that's what Pascal Barbeau has at Lostrance, which was a three Michelin star restaurant, um, which is closed now. But two people working the line. It's a very small. It looks like a home kitchen in terms of the size of the kitchen range, even though it's a professional. It's a beautiful little kitchen. And then he's running the pass. You need three people at and, and, and to do ambitious food. Mm-hmm. Somebody to do the proteins and somebody to do everything else and the garmanger stuff and somebody to help organize and send the tickets out. And you can get all the way up to 40 to 60. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing and everything in between. But also, you know, from a chef's perspective, and again, this is where Sydney, if you watched, I've only watched episode two cents or three, you know, they're, they're, they're organizing the brigade system. You're trying to like, you're a football coach or a baseball manager. You're trying to assemble the best talent for the situation you have that day. Mm-hmm. So if it's a Thursday night service, you're going to be 
you're going to get fucked because you got a private dining room. You got 250 people on the books and you're like a 80 seat restaurant. You're going to do minimum three turns and a private dining room. You don't want to go with your B team, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You want your A squad. Mm-hmm. You want it properly filled out. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's a thing is like you're putting intuitively, you know who you want pushing the buttons to get the best desired result. And as the front of the house manager knows that as well for um, the servers and the back waiters and the captains, people need to know like every day, every service, they're filling their baseball card lineup or their Mm -hmm. soccer lineup. Who's going to start that day? And the reality is like they're making decisions based on the best way to win for that day in that service. (laughs) For Mm -hmm. the most part, sometimes people don't give a fuck. But like how you're organizing the workflow in terms of the, the employees, you're doing it for maximizing the, the amount of, of, of like effectiveness that team's going to have that day. When you're short staffed, it doesn't fucking matter. You're like, I just need fucking bodies. Who gives a fuck? But when you're probably <laughs> stepped out and you're doing good shit, you are like tailoring your team for the strength and weakness of that service. And are you adjusting your menu? If you're if you're the chef, are you adjusting your menu based on what you see in terms of like your team's capability of execution on a given day or week or time period? Well, that's a very important thing to understand. And it's something I feel like I learned pretty early on. And I I, I actually had this conversation recently with somebody when I found out they were making their menus more difficult. One of my friends, they didn't change anything and they had some kitchen turnover. And I was like, what are you doing? you're still doing it this way what are you doing you have a very new team that's very talented but you have to make it a little bit easier it's like breaking in a rookie quarterback chris Mm -hmm. you don't um, you know very few of them can fewer handle the entire play yeah playbook and the complexities of the system even peyton manning if you don't know who peyton manning is one of the greatest football quarterbacks of all time but he was super cerebral and he was the first quarterback to sort of take over play calling at the line. And he just sort of revolutionized the game. And he operated at a complexity that has still honestly maybe never have happened. Very few people like that, but even he needed a couple of years to get to that level. So usually when you're putting somebody new, not just in quarterback, but any job, when you first start a job, rarely do you get thrown into the deep end, you know? They try to acclimate you to a a, a workload and you get comfortable with the playbook and the system you're in. Again, not just limited to sports, but to everything. I think chefs, and I've been guilty of this too, when you have turnover in the kitchen or you're shifting sort of teams, you forget to change your own playbook. And (laughs) that happens Mm -hmm. a lot where you're expecting them to work at the same level of a team that has basically been together for two years. How would they? You actually have Mm -hmm. to simplify your playbook until you can get them comfortable. You have the team cohesion to do something a little bit more complex. And that's hard. It's harder to have that than ever. And maybe that has nothing to do with the restaurant. There's just more turnover now. One Mm -hmm. of the issues in quality of cuisine is the fact that kitchen crews aren't staying together anymore. Just a fact. You know, there's, that's no different to say Golden State Warriors. Again, they just won again. But one of the strengths is besides them being amazingly talented is that they've been up together for like 10 years. You know, the core, other people have come in and out, but the core has stayed the same. It's harder to find that core to be the same in restaurants, regardless of how successful you are. There's just more mad turnover 
you know, it used to be, I just want you to stay a year. Now, a lot of people are like, I'm out in six months. Mm-hmm. If you left under a year 20 years ago, if you left at, basically at a year, that was looked down upon. You needed to stay two years, three years. Mm-hmm. There are kitchens in Japan when I was at Kikonoi, which is one of the oldest, most distinguished restaurants in the world. It's what, 450 years old? <laughs> you work their version of chef de partie, chef de parties. I'm not even talking about the chef de cuisine or sous chefs. They've been there 18, 20 years. It's the kitchen so crew crazy. there happens to be like four, like 30 to 40 years together. That kind of cooking together produces something remarkable, mm-hmm. you know, but you can't recreate that today. And I think that's one of the issues is the turnover and being able to learn the body language, learn the play calling, learn the sort of the tells of somebody else, right? Like that's what makes food amazing. That's also what makes working a good day at work fantastic. When like we were working on a project, we were working on uh, something in Las Vegas recently. And I was with Max, JJ, James, Jude was there. It was one of the best days of cooking I've ever had in my life Mm -hmm. because it was like, we knew how to improvise with each other. We didn't have to ask one another, do you know how to do this? I didn't have to Mm -hmm. ask them for an anchovy and making, making sure that was like, this kind of anchovy they knew you know like i didn't have to worry about the cleanliness of a station they knew i didn't have to worry about we're all tasting something together let's just say it was a vinaigrette you're all looking at each other's eyes and you all know you all tasting the same thing that we're i'm tasting but through that eye contact there's like five people around this you know metal bowl where you're tasting something one person's eyes is immediately veers to the left we all know that this person knows that what we know this person is going to get more acidity from the walk-in for, with a lemon. <laughs> you know, just from that eye, I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, that's an amazing feeling to not have to utter anything, to be working off the same page, to if you start to play a dish that you've never played it before, and it's not quite working out the same way, two people veer off from the tasting of it. One person is searing off another piece of fish. Another person's getting new ingredients and new side ingredients and new garnishes to make another plate. You don't have to say a word. That shit's beautiful. It's like that Jerry Maguire moment. You complete me type of shit. I love it. That is that. Honestly, when you have those kinds of moments, it's the best job in the world. Yeah. Best fucking job in the world, because there's such a feeling of accomplishment of community of communication and it, 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 you don't have to spend your time doing stupid shit. I love that. That's the best. This is, this is interesting because in, in the past, you know, you have shown great admiration for restaurant systems like at a Hillstones or a Nobu where you can install a system regardless of the personnel. I mean, not regardless, but like with any personnel, you've got a menu that's executable. That's not going to throw anybody any curveballs. That is, is rigorously structured, (laughs) but what you'll never get with that is this next level of the golden state warriors core has played together for 10 years. You can break out of this system and do more high flying stuff, more interesting stuff because you have this rapport with people. And the reason and what you're saying right now with restaurant turnover so high and people not staying for, you know, five, six months, let alone 10 well, let years. Me, let me just say something. This has turnover has nothing to do with the fucking restaurant 
or mm-hmm. what they're doing or anything. this is just the state of the union now mm-hmm. it is a rarity for someone to stay three to five years which used to be normal the best restaurants in the world are having no call no shows and people just leaving it's just yeah. the way it is now right and i don't know if that's always going to continue to be this way i do believe in the cyclical nature of things clearly i do think we're going to get back to a point where people are going to be staying much longer at a, a restaurant i really believe that can i can i ask you entertain this notion for a second so you talked about kikunoi and going there and the chef de partie who's in charge of x station has been there for 18 years right and that doesn't that doesn't the, the happen chef that that i believe there has been there for almost 40 years He's so, he's not a young man. He, he honestly looks almost as old as Murata's son. The chef is, 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 is part of that is part of that tied to the brigade system, which is a hierarchy by definition. Like you don't ever want to stay a chef de partie because you want to become a sous chef and eventually a CDC because it's a hierarchy, as opposed to say baseball. Where well, I think I think it's an important thing to note. Well, I, in Japan, I think it's important to know this. Upward mobility is not the same. Mm-hmm. You're not able to just, I'm going to do this now. Right? I'm going to open up my own Kaiseki restaurant. Mm-hmm. You've reached the furthest you're going to go. Opening up a ramen shop was for the lowest social caste in Japan for a long right. time. Part of the reason why there's so much more um, stability in Japan is there's just no more, there, no mobility. Again, like, there's more mobility in America, but it's not just America. I think Japan seems to be the outlier. I guess I use that as an example of, wow, it would be nice to have that kind of stability. But maybe I think about it as like, well, that sucks because you don't have any fucking social mobility. <laughs> <laughs> but what if it, what, what, <laughs> right? It's cool for us to see it. It's not cool to be that guy who has is stuck for 18 years. But like what I'm saying is, what if it were less hierarchical and more like in baseball where every position is different, but you wouldn't say, oh, the second baseman's always trying to become a shortstop. No, they're just the best second baseman in baseball. They're the top five second basemans in baseball. Like, what if you were... I mean, I thought about that a lot, Chris. I thought about that a lot, too. uh, As, like, almost making a players' union um, for cooks Mm -hmm. and having a draft. Yeah, we're (laughs) like, I'm the best grill cook in America. I'm not trying to be CDC, but I will be the best grill cook in the best restaurant and the best team in America. Like, that would be super interesting. Yeah, Chris, I've wanted to create a whole database around that about the quality levels, you know, like you're tracking the baseball player and the development of them. But um, that's actually something that I want to do legitimately. It's just very hard to logistically pull off to get everyone involved. And, you know, it's literally like, sport turning turning cooking into a sport the reason Mm -hmm. i would do that not for entertainment value is that's legitimately how you get people fucking paid on a wholly different scale right i'm a con i'm signing a new contract as a grill cook with this team right like that's that's totally amazing it's a little too forward thinking for the world i think (laughs) i think it's an awesome idea i have legitimately thought about that a lot and it would be a little bit like how sports gets done so where the players have agency to go wherever they want to for the most part you know Mm -hmm. but like do you have thoughts have you developed more thoughts on like home kitchen design and like the function of something like a big kitchen island in a home kitchen yeah i like having island space but i wouldn't have a an island i 
I know some rich dude that has a Bonet range. I know another rich dude that has a Maltini range, like an actual piano. When I say piano, the size of a boardroom conference table. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? You know right. what I mean? It's like for me to turn on the stove and to go to the other side, I literally have to walk like half a block. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's the legitimate, I have a Formula One car in my garage type of thing. Yeah. Right? Like, like, I don't that, know how to that's try That's a this great thing. example. There's certain ovens that are like a Formula One race car. I'm like, that's what you use to go to the grocery store? What the fuck? <laughs> that's what you're cooking your mac and cheese on? Is this giant stove? Yeah. But um, yeah, just not applicable. And all those super fancy Maltinis, et cetera, they, they do make commercially available ones. Um, I didn't really think, I don't really think about it too much because I don't want to think about it at home. I don't even care about my kitchen setup too much at home. I do, but I I, I will work around whatever I have. Right. It's also just I spend enough time designing kitchens and being perpetually dissatisfied with all of my creations in terms of the layout that I don't want to. I just want to put my head in the sand at home. Do you not? Do you legitimately not have one kitchen that you're like, damn, that we we really designed that well in a restaurant? Like I was, you were happy no, with? I fucked up every one of them, in the sense that. <laughs> Oh there was God. always something where like, God damn it. I fucking mm. didn't think of this. God damn it. Why'd I use this material? God damn it. You know, I mm. should have put a pedal for this fucking sink. God damn it. Why is the fucking soap <laughs> dispenser here? Fuck. I put it over there. You know, God damn it. Why didn't I make this drawer that you could pull out so I could put the cryovac machine there? God 100%. damn it. Why didn't I put a fucking another fucking thing here so I could put the plastic bags here? Right. You know? Right. God damn it. Why did I shape the fucking walk in this way? Why did I put the compressors <laughs> over there? Why didn't I get a remote? Why can't I put it over there? You know, it just never ends. Like as many years as you want to spend, like you like to say, editing in your head, planning this in your head. None of that stacks up to one day cooking in this kitchen <laughs> and all the things you're going to find wrong with it. Right. Like as soon as you're standing in there. Why did I put this over here? Why can't I need to reach the bags for the cryovac machine? Why didn't I put a drawer next to it knowing I was going to put this here? Like none of that. Why did I make this counter so tall? You know, it's just like, <laughs> why didn't I put an outlet over here? Because I can't get the goddamn chits fucking printer. Like, eh. you know, why didn't I create a, a storage area for our knife bags? You, you name it. You're perpetually dissatisfied with every fucking kitchen arrangement. And I could literally go over everyone and just be like, fuck. You know, it's funny. It's like when we just went over the noodle bar, I saw Jeannie there. And I was like, wow, there's the, the renovated kitchen looks great. The floor still sloped a little bit over here. When you spend so much time <laughs> in a place, you, all you see are the imperfections. And to be honest, like just thinking about the noodle bar set up at 171, I fucked that up. You know why? Why would I put noodle soups at the furthest end of the line to bring to the pass? <laughs> the thing that is hot, that is the yeah. hardest to carry, dumbass me. As a perfect example, I'll never, you know, it's like, we move that all, and there's no way we could even redesign it because then we'd have to change everything. But simple mm -hmm. things like that where it just never know, even if you model it out as much as you can. And you could, there are times we've taped out the entire kitchen in it. We've rented out a hotel conference room or like ballroom. We've taped out the entire kitchen and we've danced. We've done dance just to see if we're missing anything. Really? Like you'll, you'll block out how the kitchen is set up and operate in there. Yes. And you'll still miss it because you can't recreate everything. You just yeah. can't. 
And like, I think about that. I'm like, oh man, like, why did I put that so far away? I should have put that closest to the fucking pass. So when they're bringing hot noodle soups down the line, it's the closest as the crow flies, not the furthest. And these are examples that I'm always going to hold myself to. I'm like, God damn it. The whole thing, the funny thing is sometimes you forget you've uh, done that. You've designed a restaurant. You're like, I did it again. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I mean, I know you said like, you don't care about your home kitchen flow, but I'm moving into our house right now. And like, I'm trying to set up our kitchen and I'm trying to consider things and I'm trying to be like, what am I going to reach for most often when I'm standing at the stove? What are the tools I need? Like within arm's reach, what can I like put further away on the other side of the kitchen that I'm not going to use, blah, blah, blah. And my wife thinks I'm a lunatic because I'm just moving things everywhere that I've never even, I haven't even, I hadn't even cooked anything yet. I was just moving things back and forth. And then the first time I said, like, started cooking, I was like, I've done this completely wrong. <laughs> I have no idea where anything is. Everything is not intuitive. The stuff that I actually need is on the other side of the kitchen. It's really, I mean, like, I'm not an expert, but like, it's really hard to like know what you're going to need in the moment. It's hard to like visualize yourself doing the thing, no matter how much planning. And like, again, this all comes back to sort of like your favorite thing of you can't do this stuff in your head. Like, there's no replacement for doing the stuff. No, you can't. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. I still say, You need three positions filled regardless of your brigade. You need the police officer to enforce the laws. You need the good cop to make people feel good about those laws, right? To reinforce positivity. And then you need the person to make, perform miracles, right? To keep that brigade together, right? And sometimes that those roles could be filled by one person, three people, multiple people. But to me, that is the one thing that every kitchen organization needs. If you have more than three people, you need those rules. You need somebody to enforce them. You need somebody to tell you, you know, in a positive way, like why we're doing things to correct, to be critical so we can get better. And you need someone to be like, why am I standing on my toes 10, like feet, 10 hours a day? Oh yeah. Because this guy, this woman (laughs) can make something that I cannot I, I have uh-huh. no idea how to do this, and I'm here to learn how to make something like this. And you sort of see that in the bear a little bit as well, right? You know, people trying to learn different skill sets and such. But yeah, all in, I, I like the bear a lot. It's very triggering for me, anxiety-ridden as well, because a lot of it hits close to home. But um, yeah, I, I can see why people like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, props to Chris Storer, who uh, we've known for a long time and who like, saw that value that you've talked about so much of 
the professional kitchen doesn't need all this gilding. It doesn't need to be over dramatized. It doesn't need, you know, laser blasters and cocaine coming out of every nook and cranny. Like it, it's, it, it's like life at the edge as it stands. And, you know, we've known him for a long time and he's like always had a lot of respect. His sister, obviously Courtney works in uh, kitchens is, is one of the great chefs in the country, but like, that's the thing. I, I just think that it was like it, it, it took somebody who was going to like fight through all of the network notes and stick to their guns about like you don't need to gussy up this this vision of of a kitchen. Yeah, that's good. And again, some people have a very quiet kitchen. Some people have a very loud kitchen. Sometimes that quiet kitchen becomes extremely loud because <laughs> food is dying at the pass. So you hear that phrase, food is dying. I got food dying at the pass. It's under the heat lamps. Where the fuck are my runners, right? Where's service? You're yelling service because the food is literally wilting under the hot lamps. And it's not the service fault. Maybe they're already busy at a table. Maybe a customer fell down. Maybe a bottle of wine broke, whatever. But inevitably, that's the kind of communication that it gets. So it's like, hey, I need a wipe. So you would have wipes. So wipes are usually with cheap vodka right and you 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 know make these little servettes and you know you wipe the plate and you don't use water because that'll leave a smudge right you also say like hey i need plates so you have somebody constantly getting the plates sometimes that is the chef uh cold plates for cold food hot plates for hot food and again in a kitchen that is small usually the person that is expediting is also doing the plating in a very big restaurant, usually you have an expediter and then a chef. I think I'm a really good expediter. I like expediting, as stressful as fucking as it is, because it's gambling. I love gambling, and I love gambling. <laughs> Every night, if you run in the past, it's gambling. I fucking love it. I do. I, oh, I think wait, I'm really wait, wait, good explain, at it. I think I'm think like one of the very mean. best expediters in the fucking world. I, I, you know, I think I'm a really good at a lot of things. I'm fucking a world-class expediter. Wait, explain the gambling connection. Explain what you mean. It's so many different ways. It could be I'm going to fire a ticket even though a table is taking their sweet ass fucking time. I need the table turned over by seven o'clock. This fucking table just ordered a whole roasted duck an hour into it. Okay. So like that changes my entire flow for service. Now, and the person that just ordered the duck, let's just say we're, we, we, we have like four ducks a day. The four ducks are pre-ordered. I have an early table, but it's a, they come in with a super VIP. Everything's got to be super PX'd. They, because they're super PX, say, oh, I want a duck. The general manager comes in and says, we're fully fucking booked. We got a full number of reservations. And they say, we have to give this person a duck, this table a duck. I don't have a fucking duck to give. I need fucking two and a half hours at minimum to prepare another duck. So it's like, all right, give it to him. I'll fucking make it happen. And you, you, you gamble. So it's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the other duck from table, the second duck table, and give that to them. So I'm constantly going to buffer time until another fifth duck can be fabricated for that last duck table. A lot of people wouldn't do it because it's like, it's stressful. It's like, I don't know how to do that. Or, you know, it's like, you just do things. Or it's like, um, the, let's just say this happens a lot. A captain comes in and says, or a runner and says, you can't clear their courses yet. So they will come in. The kitchen wants to know the state of a dining room constantly, especially if it's closed, because you are relying on the servers, captains, and runners' mm -hmm. eyes and vision to communicate the state of affairs in a dining room. So 
if I have tickets and they're all boarded out, right? In terms of the, the we talked about the printed tickets of the order. So let's just say I got 16 tickets, right? I got a full fucking board. I got four more tickets coming in. I'm ar- arranging the, the, the tickets by first course, second course, mid course, canapes, whatever, desserts in terms of what I'm firing, right? So we can time this effectively. I'm waiting on communication from the server for one table to be cleared. I'm assuming that it should be cleared. Nobody's gotten back to me because maybe again, things get backlogged in the front of the house. Things can get just yeah. as fucking hairy in the front of the front of the house and, or I'm getting misinformation, right? So I'm judging like, hmm, they may not be giving me information because of X amount of reasons. If I don't fire these tickets, I'm going to get fucked because my fish cook is going to go down because he's got three whole sea bass that have to be salt crusted. He's got to figure out how to make the sorrel sauce for the salmon. He's got X amount of fucking langoustines he's got to pick up. He's going to go down in flames because these are all all minute things and all of us are going to have to come help him plate. There's no way. I got to push this fucking second course out the door and they're still on their fucking you know, risotto or whatever. They haven't cleared their first courses yet for whatever fucking reason. And I'm just going to make the game time decision be like, fire fucking mid courses now. You know? You're taking a blind bet. I was going to say it's like you're playing chicken, but you're playing battleship. You like don't know what's on the other side. But you're, 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 you're guessing, right? You're Mm -hmm. also forcing the table. So now you're just changing the flow of the dining room. So let's just say the general manager comes in or whoever's running the floor as a manager says, hey, uh, this table is taking their time. We need time. And you say, too bad. I just fired their courses. You better clear their fucking plates. <laughs> yeah. You better, you know, now it's like, hey, I'm, I, I'm not going to fire it again. You have to make it happen, right? But by doing that, it changes the flow of everything. So you're constantly judging when you can fire food, when you can't. Can you steal food from another table and bring it to another table? The timing of when to fire food is an art form. It really is. And organizing the communication from a dining room to the pass to the cooks is extremely stressful and difficult. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I will say, like, I think I'm really fucking good at it. I, I mean, everybody has their style. I, I like to gamble. And what makes you? I like what, to push the flow. Good I'm, like a, I'm like I'm like Jurgen Klopp in Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, like you're. I want to push. I want to push. Press. Just I press the ball. I, I'm like a running. I want to push, push, push. That's how my service is. We're, we're pushing this fucking thing. These diners are going to have to like submit to our, our pressure. <laughs> like we're not going to let them <laughs> dine the way they want. We're going to shape how they're going to eat this fucking meal today by our fucking constant relentless pressure of how we're going to serve and cook our fucking food. I was going to say, I was about to say, oh, what makes a good expediter is that like all of this chaos and pressure doesn't, isn't perceptible by the diner, but it sounds <laughs> more like you want the diner to feel the Jurgen Klopp gig and press bearing down on them. No, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to like what I want them to be very clear. I'm not trying to get them to be like, wow, food's coming out too fast. I want them to be so, again, legitimately. My goal is always, it's so fucking good that they're eating it so fast, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A table that's eating fast means that it's so fucking good. Yeah. 
You want right? them to leave being like, damn, we ate like crazy just now. That was crazy. We yeah. just, yeah. I, exactly. Exactly. And I want communication, right? When things are not good, then you can have a conversation. I don't want a mm-hmm. fucking conversation in my dining room. I don't want to hear what you did for the day. I don't want my the people sitting at a table being like, how was graduation? You know, like, I don't give a shit about right. that. What I want them to be like, what the fuck? This shit is amazing. <laughs> it's not because you don't want them to enjoy themselves. You want them to be, you want the food to be so good that they don't give a shit themselves about their son's graduation. And again, it's communication. I want them to, I want that server to come back. They're like, just keep it coming, man. Just keep it coming. They fucking love it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Right. <laughs> and it doesn't always happen. Uh, clearly you got to like slow the pace when, uh, and I haven't run service in so long, right? In like four years, I haven't run fucking service, maybe longer. But yeah, when I say put pressure on the dining room, I'm not trying to make it feel like it's, it's that moment when you're at, Say uh, when we were at the Lobster Fishman Clubhouse, or what? What was that last restaurant when I uh, Newport Seafood, where they just dropped everything at once? Yeah, I'm not trying to do that. Yep. Even though that would be amazing, uh, I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> Again, and we sort of help popularize the whole like we fire shit as whatever is ready, whatever the kitchen is ready. But in a structured dining room, I like pushing it, or I just you know. <laughs> I, I want I like when I said push it, I just don't want to be uh, I no, hate losing I, I control of image in my head. I have a new image in my head of who you are. You're like Skrillex. <laughs> You're just like on stage trying to push the volume and tempo of of this thing so that like the people enjoying it are reaching this fever pitch. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I don't know how this goes. I've never been to a fucking Skrillex show, but I assume this is what happens. You're not just like, turn it all the way up so that they, we deafen them. But you want them so into it that they want it faster and louder and they want it to be like coming at them like <laughs> you're just a, you're a DJ, man. Yeah, I guess something like that. So <laughs> but like even in events when there's other chefs, like when we do this cook at Raw's, guess who they always ask to fucking expedite me? Yeah. These whole, like the best chefs in the world. And I'm the fucking asshole that has to, you know, organize it all <laughs> with the biggest, most influential food critics in the world. Like nobody, it's, it's a really shit job to have, but, um, mm-hmm. that's my job. But they'd also know you're going to take it seriously. I think is the, is the thing. I don't think other people are going to. And also, can I just say, if you're not good at it, my God, it's a mess. My God. If you're a bad expediter. Whew, very bad. Yeah. You can fucking ruin service. If you ever wonder why sometimes like your planes aren't coming on time and you're delayed, maybe it's because you have a bad air traffic controller. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's because like I think like a bad expediter is like running a Ponzi scheme because you're just like making secret bets and withdrawals without anybody knowing, and it all comes home to roost at like the second. Because rush. again, it's all timing. It's being able to judge things. It's like knowing when to fire. Sometimes if you're too slow, you lose control. You lose the pressure, right? And things get backed up and you create a traffic jam. You want to have a nice rhythm of cooking where you're in the flow, not so fast that you're not able to make proper mise en place and get your supplies, but it's a nice way. It's a cadence and a rhythm where you're constantly cooking at a nice pace and plating food in a rhythm, like a nice rhythm, right? And that's the, the pace that I want, right? Where you're not, so busy that you 
you're losing train of thought, but you're not so slow that you forget what you're fucking doing. You're in the Zen-like motion of I'm cooking and I'm trusting all of my training and all the hours I've put in to make beautiful food. I'm literally present for what's happening. It's just busy enough where you don't have to think about what you're fucking doing. That's the good cadence for an expediter. Sometimes it doesn't matter because what really happens is, hey, it's seven o'clock. We have a 120 seat restaurant. <laughs> we have a full, fully booked at 120 seats, but the front of the house decided to take 60 walk-ins on top of a fully booked house. Yeah. And then um, jerks, the walk-in goes down and then, you know, the induction on Garmanger. So you can't do hot pickups on Garmanger goes down. So now this is like a normal day. Then you're in the fucking potentially the shits and it gets super stressful because you, you need to get that first seating out before the second seating happens or you're totally dead. You're just dead. It's like setting a bomb and not being able to leave because you change yourself to the bomb. <laughs> if you problem. cannot do complete that first turn, you're a dead man walking, just fucking dead in a fully busy restaurant. You need that first turn to go off without a hitch. People want to, if they're eating at five o'clock, they need to be out by seven o'clock at the latest. And if you don't do that, mm -hmm. that that's yeah. And so a bad expediter is not necessarily a bad expediter. A bad expediter could be bad because they're presented a situation that they can't defuse. They've gotten themselves in too deep. They've made too many bets. Or it's not their fault. It's just like the circumstances around them has changed. So they need to get out. So again, I was trying very hard not to get too deep into um, esoteric things. I think I immediately went to way too esoteric for people talking about expediting. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Man, it's so nice to hear you getting excited about this stuff. Am I am I seemed excited about talking about restaurants? <laughs> I mean, I know you want you I know I know it's hard for you, but like once you get going, man, it's just like we're at we're at the bar after service again. That's what it sounds like to me. It's a it's an adrenaline rush, right? People ask why would you do it? And this is where when you have when you do it right, it is a it is a drug. It's a fucking drug. Having something that's good in your profession of cooking, having good moments. You know, yes, I remember the bad. Yes, most people I know remember the bad, but it's the really transcendent good moments that keep you going that you're trying to recreate that hit. Mm -hmm. And those good services, when you have a good service, and a good service means that bad shit may have happened, things have broken, you were in the weeds, but you were able to get out of it and still execute properly. It feels like winning a game, you know? It's like, hey, that was an ugly win, but we did it. I'm really proud of the team. Or like, whatever. Th those are moments that I, I enjoy so much where it's like, I don't give a shit about, you know, it's not about the money. It's legitimately like, oh, this felt extremely rewarding to be able to make beautiful food, to do it with a team, to execute it in a way that was like, you were so on point. There are very few mistakes. You know, and it's a little bit like how a coach feels after, you know, post-game conference, whether they're happy or not. And, you know, that's why you do it. Ultimately, why I think it's so addicting is that feeling of accomplishment that you just can't recreate in any other facet of my life. Which is why if you feel like there's adrenaline rushing to me right now, it's because, like, it is a fucking rush. There's no, <laughs> there's no way to describe it any way less. Working 
with good people doing amazing food and crushing service, that's as thrilling as a feeling I think as I, you can get in a like a controlled environment. And that's something that you know we, we were talking about the bear, talking about like portrayals, media portrayals, film portrayals of restaurants, and that's something you you haven't seen all that much really because the big win, the big celebratory moment is always like you need a big bad guy, and it's always like what's the critic going to say, and not enough depictions of just like you know what the best moment is is not getting a review in the newspaper. Like I know we have to see that scene every in every movie and every show, but like this moment, we just got crushed, but we handled it. We handled our business tonight and it was a good night. Like that's, that's the true reward I think for, for cooks. There was a, there was a moment I think in one of the earlier episodes of the bear, and it's just a simple line. I think it is when Sydney was talking about how she was having a really bad day. And I want to go into the plausibility of some of that, especially the veal stock. But again, I understand for dramatic narrative, but they're in the back and, 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 and Carmi, they finish the conversation and it's just a simple line as the camera pans out. We're going to get, we're going to get fucking crushed today. Right. And she's like, yeah, it's like, you know, you just know it's going to hurt. It's a little bit like, you know, like you're, I don't even know what the comp is when you know crush doesn't mean, Oh, I'm dreading it. Yeah. You're sort of dreading getting destroyed. When I say destroyed, you're going to get six hours of pain. But it's the same kind of feeling that I was, I would say someone that's like, I do a marathon. It sucks. I do an Ironman, but it sucks. It's that feeling of pain and accomplishment and overcoming that. When I say pain, it's not, it's, it's mentally exhausting to cook 300 covers a night. It's mentally exhausting if you're normally cooking 50 covers a night to do 100 covers. It's hard. It's endurance. And it's every day it's diffusing some kind of bomb. And when you do it at the end of the day and you do it together, that camaraderie is intoxicating. Yeah. It's it's truly a beautiful thing to see. All right. Give us five stars. Uh, visit us at our Discord channel, majordomomedia.com. All things Momofuku. You can visit us at shop.momofuku. And again, I'm sure we'll be continuing our conversations of the bear, but big congratulations to the store brother, sister, Maddie Matheson, and the whole team there. Um, yeah, go check it out on uh, FX. I've only seen like three episodes, but... Pretty good stuff.